There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Peters, we got Marcus Peters, it's sweeter. When you get Marcus Peters, he can play cornerback. Yeah. And he's tall and he's like Marcus Peters. Let's Peters. Church on radio, your boy 3K, Myson. What's up, man? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Man, it's man, what's happening? Other than, uh, other than, uh, I know other than a, a lot of moves being made all of a sudden. We're making great <laughs> trades. It's still oh, the offseason. I give it the best grades. No, it was great, man. Great great news. Let me go ahead and tweet this out while we're live. Um, hey, you know what pretty, makes today really great? What makes today great, Myson? Got Girl Scout cookies, man. <laughs> that is That is important. What did you wait so long for? Man, I'm going... I'm going hard on these Girl Scout cookies right now. I don't know how I'm not, like, sick. <laughs> I've been eating them, like, all weekend. All right. What were the orders? What are the Which ones do you go for? Okay, so I'm that guy that... Go backwards. Like, so, yeah. so what do you have? A, do you have a top three? Yeah. So I'm that guy that... All right, number like, three. Yeah, let me get those, because I don't know none of the Girl Scout names. <laughs> So I get okay. I get both peanut butter ones, the peanut butter sandwiches plus the chocolate covered peanut butters. Those those are must. I gotta get those absolutely one hundred percent. I used to love the uh, the lemon ones, but now those are like crap. I don't know what they turned them into, but they're not what they used to be. They used to have like the lemon frosting over them or whatever it was, and it was like a sugar cookie. Now it's just sugar lemon flavored stuff. I don't know, it's weird. I don't mess with those ones. Now I get the same. You talking about the lemonade? Yeah, those things used to be bomb. <laughs> then they started making these powdered sugar things. I don't know. I can't get with that. Can't get jiggy with this shit. <laughs> but, can't get jiggy. Uh, now, now I'm officially 100% with Thin Mints. Took me forever to get down with Thin Mints, and then also I, go, I, I get busy with those shortbreads. You know, I got to keep it old school, little classy. So. That's how I'm rolling with my Girl Scout cookies. I still play with anything, but my number ones are still the Tagalongs. Tagalongs still going hard in the paint. Are those the ones that peanut butter covered in chocolate? Yeah, it's peanut butter and chocolate, yeah. man. It's it's yeah, like a yeah, you know, yeah. it's not fair. It's one of those things where we should we need to have peanut butter chocolate combinations regulated by the government because you know we can't do we can't handle that shit on our own. That's not. <laughs> we can't do that. Well, and I did mention this in the tweet. I'll, I'll throw this out there because I had – what did I have for our Twitter agenda that I threw out for the people? I said we tonight we're going to talk about the Marcus Peters trade. We're going to talk about the combine. We'll talk a little bit about free agency. we got to talk about Sammy Waters. 
Sammy Watkins. We'll talk about the draft. And then we got to talk about teams being savages that we must avoid at all costs if we want to survive. Here's the thing that's going on. I know everybody's <laughs> talking about the news and the teams and guns. I think we're missing the bigger picture, right, which is that at any time, if they wanted to, teams could form an uprising and destroy us all. Teams have, teams have the combination of all of it, <clears throat> near-peak uh, physical abilities, uh, a lack of uh, perpetual public shame, a willingness to uh, follow strongman leaders. That's why all these young teen books work. The the uh, what's it called? The Mockingjay. What was the Mockingjay? Hunger Games and all these dystopian novels that they like. It's because if the teens get their act together, they will kill all of us, Bison. And I'm scared. I'm gonna need you to put down a remote. All right. <laughs> <laughs> You're watching too many movies. <laughs> Some kids I'm, must have jumped you, huh? And took your Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> they might. Well, that's the whole point. You got to go to the team because they had um. Let me look up this guy. They had a player on the Nationals out here, the uh, baseball player, Sean yeah. Doolittle. I don't know if you heard about this store. Sean Doolittle is a player for the Washington Nationals. He's a multimillionaire who plays professional baseball. And he took the subway system here in D.C. where I live, and the team started making fun of him for looking like uh, Seth Rogen. And he stopped riding the metro to work because he couldn't handle the team. They they interrupted his whole commute, man. This is a professional baseball player. You know how sad that is. It's true, though. You can't. This guy needs. To learn how to flame, like a flaming session 101. How to get back, getting some ass, dude. Learn, <laughs> learn how to talk, stand up for yourself and talk. Just you crazy. can't stand up to the teams. What are you talking about? That makes it worse. Oh, uh, dude, you clearly have got, you clearly have been too little at some point, haven't you? See, here's, here's the problem, Mason, is you, you, you and I were that team. I learned from my mistakes. See, this is the difference. When you're 17, you have the power of knowing what will undo every adult male. So I could, I could say that shit to like 35-year-old Mycin that would turn him into a weeping wreck. But now 37-year-old me, I, don't, I make fun of you for drinking tea. And, you know, my, 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 my game is weak. My insult game is weak. But if I was like 17, I could say that shit like, yeah, dude, come on, man. You you got father issues. I know you do, and I'm you'd be like, "Oh shit!" Flamer. He cut. I, I had to retire. <laughs> I, you I did. Didn't That's have the whole competition. <laughs> That's the whole point. Seventeen-year-old Mycin was a savage. This seventeen-year-old Mycin would wreck you. Seventeen-year-old Mycin <laughs> would reduce you to rubble. Hey, look. All I gotta say is, we're gonna do a show on either Christmas or Thanksgiving. Well, me, my brother, cousins, we get together, and it's an all-out flame session. It's no hold bars. We get together. We play so, Monopoly. <laughs> and somebody here's what you got to do, though. <laughs> and here's what you got to do. You got to have one of your cousins who's 17 there because you know what will happen. Y'all won't finish the game. Y'all will get so pissed at him. Y'all will be like, yo, Brandon, you got to you gotta go. You can't. You're making this too <laughs> – this isn't fair. This ain't right. Oh man! Don't mess with the we, team. We, Lesson learned. We have we have just discovered Joe has lost it. He can no longer hold his own when you get into a battle of talking shit. Wow! I can't. No, I'm here's the thing. Grown men, I, grown men, I'm good. Grown women, I'm good. The teens, I'm not part of this. I'm gone. You can you can die your own death. There ain't no heroes in this. 
Doolittle took Doolittle took one and it, it just scared the hell out of everybody. Now everybody lives to fight another day. You got you got to remember, <laughs> I was in the army. I deployed twice. I have fought in battles in actual gunfights. <laughs> I am fucking with these teens. I am not fucking with these teenagers, man. Hey, negative. Uh, enough said. Enough said. <laughs> enough said. With that being said, though, perfect leeway into not fucking with somebody anymore. The Chiefs are not fucking with the the what the top. Top ten, surefire. Top five, depending on who you talk to. Marcus Peters. Man, this is this has been an interesting week. I think when news broke, you know, three four days ago that the Rams and Chiefs were in talks and that they were nearing a, a deal, um, it was it was like, wow, is this really going to happen? And you're thinking, what what are they going to give up? You hear the report come out that the Chiefs wanted Robert Quinn, which we're going to touch on here, actually. But the Chiefs wanted Robert Quinn, and you're hearing all this stuff, and you get to the end of the – it's released today that they gave up a second-round pick next year <laughs> and a fourth-round pick this year, and got a sixth-round pick in return. What do you think of the Marcus Peters trade? So here's the, here's the thing. You just don't get a lot of trades – that start from a place where the team wants to sell. Almost always it's teams inquiring, hey, is this guy available? Hey, is the number one pick available because we want to trade up to go get Jared Goff? Hey, is something like this available? Let's talk about this because we want to go after that. This is one of those rare trades where the team that held the guy came with him to the market, and that's not um, – we all know why. I mean, we've read the stories by now about um, – his behavioral issues that eventually had crossed Andy Reid one too many times. But the, here's the bottom line. If I had told you a month ago that you could have Marcus Peters and not give up a first-round pick and not give up a premium player in return, you probably would have told me I was crazy, um, and I would have thought it was crazy. And yet they pulled it off. And so it's one of those things where you get the talent and you got to figure out how to deal with this the same way the Chiefs did – they dealt with it for three years and it didn't really impact them too heavily on the field. I think they tried to get out before it got any worse. And I think the question is, is this a reset for market Peters with the Rams or is this a continuation of just, you know, the kind of uh, game that he brings you on the field with what he's going to bring you off the field. And you just got to take the good with the bad. I don't know. It's one of those uh, unique situations, but I certainly don't have any problem bringing a cornerback as good as Marcus Peters is when he plays to the team. Top five, top ten. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting um, because I didn't think of this when the trade went down. Um, as I've mentioned before, I, I went to college in St. Joseph, Missouri, uh, 45 minutes north of Kansas City. And so I have a lot of friends in Kansas City, and one of my friends, his dad actually works uh, for the Chiefs. And – he said something that I thought was like, wow, really? <laughs> I hadn't really thought of that. He said, let me ask you this. What could be so much different and so bad about this guy who, if you ask 90% of all GMs in the NFL, they'll tell you he's the top five corner. The other 10% is surefire going to tell you he's top 10, strictly talking football skills and what he produces, not character. You're going to get those answers. He said, what, what to make a team want to trade? Like you said, they wanted to move him. What could make a team want to trade a player like that, Travis Kelsey? Because if you look at on field, 
They both do a bunch of stupid stuff on the field all the time. And he made an even better point highlighting the fact that when it comes to personal fouls, that Travis Kelsey has actually accumulated more than Marcus Peters. They both picked up the flag and thrown it. Only difference is Marcus Peters threw his in the crowd. Travis Kelsey threw his at the ref. <laughs> so when he, when he was making this, this, these comparisons between Marcus Peters and Travis Kelsey and their character, it really got my head going like, wow, what could he have done behind closed doors that no one knows about? Because he hasn't been arrested or anything like that. So it's clearly something no one knows about. What could he have done that had been the last straw to make you move someone this good at a premium position like corner? That really got my that really got my screws going in my head. I said, "Wow, that's that's a good question. Like, what on earth did he have done?" So, uh, my question now, Joe, is: Are Rams fans comfortable with the risk, the reward? We know we're comfortable. Everyone should be comfortable with the reward because you didn't you gave up a second round pick and a fourth round pick. But are you comfortable with because if he goes and screws up and he ends up suspended for a year? This time next year, are we going to be saying that? Oh, yeah, this is coming because I don't think the I don't think the Rams are going to pick up a fifth year option if he was suspended for a year. So, yeah. so, 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 are you comfortable with the risk? That's the question. The main reason I'm comfortable with the risk is you're only on the hook for one year. So, I mean, if mm-hmm. if it blows up, walk away. And it, I mean, it doesn't. What is it? What does it really disrupt for you versus? You know, the fact that he wasn't going to re-sign with the Chiefs in the first place, which is part of what depressed the market from him. There's not a ton of harm beyond 2018, so there's not any long-term harm, right? I mean, the the worst thing that could happen in terms of long-term harm is if he's phenomenal this year on the field and plays the part of the good soldier, you sign him to a long-term deal, and then that blows up. But as it stands, you know – there's a there's a risk there, and if, if you're not willing to take it, you shouldn't have made the trade in the first place, right? If if, if you don't if you don't think oh, yeah. that you can put a play, and let's be real, this isn't like Les Snead makes the trade and then goes and tells Sean McVay. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they oh, were absolutely. talking about you know, hey, they, they you know they spoke with everyone from Sean McVay, Kevin Demoff, yeah, Kobe, everyone knew about this before. Of course, but my question necessarily isn't for the front office, but from this Rams fan. Should Rams fans be concerned about the risk? I don't think so. I mean, it's a, the, what I wrote was that it was a big test, and it was the it was the first major test of Sean McVay as a head coach, not as a football yeah. coach. This is his first test as a as a as a football head a coach. Leader. You can't, a leader. You can't. You can't scheme. Yeah, you can't scheme this away with you know. Oh well, we're going to do this on the blitz. No, nah, that's not how this works. This is. Uh, this is personality management and relationship management. And one of the things I said in the piece was this is one of the things that Jeff Fisher was really good at when he had guys like yeah. Kenny Britt and Albert Hainsworth in Tennessee, and then Kenny Britt and Janoris Jenkins in St. Louis and, uh, you know, even Los Angeles when he brought Kenny Britt. Jeff Fisher handled these kind of things. That was one of his yeah. best skills. Um, and we'll see if Sean McVay's got it. If he doesn't, you move on. And what I said was maybe this is the last we've, – we've talked about this before on Churchill Radio – Maybe this is the last time you talk about a guy like this. And so that when we get to the 2019 draft, if we're looking at replacing Sammy Watkins, but you got a diva wide receiver who's made some problems for his team at the college level, maybe that's one of those things where we say, look, he's just not on the Rams board because we know we can't handle these kind of people in our locker rooms. Yeah, I, I definitely think that the, um, this is going to be a major test for Sean McVay. Um, and I, I was thinking about, as far as the test for Sean McVay, but I started thinking about 
uh, Wade Phillips and just his time in the NFL. And you you think about Terrell Owens, you know, sure. someone that he had, you know, but Terrell Owens wasn't uh, necessarily uh, someone you had to worry about away from the stadium. His was more so in game, in the locker room, yeah, like that, you yeah. know. Uh, but he he wasn't he wasn't someone you really had to worry about from away from the stadium. He never once got in trouble away from the stadium. It never happened. So, but I think that would be the most extreme example for Wade Phillips. So even for Wade Phillips, this is a huge, huge challenge um, because in his in his years of coaching, I can't recall one time he had a player like this. And maybe there was a player on the back end of the roster, but the difference is he's on the back end of the roster. This guy's at the top of the roster. So how do you handle that guy? It's going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting season to just see how that aspect of all this plays out. But aside from all the negative, the positives of it. You get a bona fide playmaker at corner, 19 interceptions in three seasons. Just he is a truly he like glue. And I remember scouting him when he came out. He was actually one of the top rated corners. And I think he was for most people. The question with him, of course, was all the trouble at Washington um, and the 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 the, the, the big, being kicked off the team and just constant constant trouble. Uh, that was the big issue for him. Without that, top five pick. So now you fast forward, and he's proven that 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 uh, those standards that he set for himself on the field was legit. And but yeah. he's also proven that those character issues were legit. Also <laughs> legit. You haven't yeah. really seen that maturation process take place, and hopefully it will. Some guys that never do, some guys it does. Uh, it's all about time and seeing how it goes. We have to remember he's only three years in. Um, he could still mature. It took Pac-Man Jones, what, like seven years to get his head right? Sure. So, I, wouldn't well, even and, say that. And, I wouldn't even say Pac-Man Jones got his head right. He just figured out how to keep his head wrong and do right throughout the exactly. year. Exactly. He, he figured out how I can stop getting suspended, play football, make millions yeah. of dollars, and still, and still be Pac-Man Jones. my life. Yep. <laughs> you yep. know, and well, I think that's what Marcus Peters has to figure out yeah. right now. And that's kind of what I, the the two things that I think are most interesting is number one, when we first get a taste of this, because you know you know when you want it, you want it in week seven and not week seventeen. You want it when yeah. you can deal with it and put a standard in place. I don't know if you saw McVeigh's quotes at the uh, the one hundred and one yeah. awards where he talked about how you know. And, and granted, what you say to the media and what you do don't always have to be the exact same thing. But if if we get something in October where they can deal with it, I think that'll be much more useful than if it comes in December or damn near January. The other thing that I think is important, you kind of alluded to it with Wade Phillips, but it goes beyond the coaching staff. This is a team. And what was interesting, that's why I thought the most important quotes weren't from McVay. It was from Aaron Donald, right? Marcus Peters is joining a team in a locker room that goes beyond the coaching staff. So what I I wonder is if Marcus Peters, or or even when you get the first sniff of it, who's going to be the first person to really deal with it? And and not to come over and try to be like, you know, the super disciplinarian or anything. That doesn't have to be the first step. The first step is knowing how to deal with it. It may be, hey, Marcus, let's play cool, man. And it, like the way like Richard Sherman, when he would blow up in Seattle, there's different ways of dealing with it. Now, I'm sure there are listeners who know, you know, teachers and psychologists and 
you know, leaders in the military who have different ways of dealing with emotional outbursts and attitude adjustments. You don't always go straight for the most hardcore disciplinarian action. You don't just say, hey, we're suspending you for two games. No, that doesn't necessarily have to be the reaction. The question for me is who do they go to? Is it Andrew Whitworth? Is it Jared Goff? Is it Todd Gurley? Is it somebody on the defense like Alec Ogletree or a Connor Barwin-type vet, whether or not Barwin's still around? Or is it somebody from the coaching staff? Is it Wade Phillips or, you know, somebody lower down on, on that coaching staff tree that goes to him and says, hey, Marcus, how do we get you to cool off so we can make this productive? I think that's what's going to be most You know, I'm glad you mentioned Aaron Donald because he's he's not the most vocal guy all the time, but he, he's he, is, however, like, he, he is, however, like that no-nonsense type of guy, you know, like, he means business, and he he means when it's time to work, let's work. You know that's the that's kind of the way he carries himself. So I think it'll be interesting seeing those two interact if there is something that happens that Aaron doesn't like too well. I think that Aaron is the type who would step to him like, "Hey, hey, bro, maybe have you to chill out." <laughs> you know, like maybe. I, and how Marcus Peters will react to that will be interesting. Um, Aaron Donald is so res- well respected across the league. Um, is he the, is he that guy that's so well respected that in that scenario he could step to Marcus Peters and Marcus Peters would chill out, or is Marcus Peters gonna be like, man, the hell out of my face? <laughs> you know, we're so gonna find out. Those things, we're gonna find yeah, out. Definitely, we're definitely, definitely gonna find out. It's gonna be very interesting. But overall, if I had to grade this trade, I have to give it an A plus. You just yeah. you just don't get top five player at your at their position for a second and fourth round pick. For this cheap, <laughs> you know, the, the Rams aren't coming out of any money. Uh, he, he's still under control under his rookie contract for this year. And then, of course, they could use the option, and if they want, they could even franchise tag him the year after that. So the Rams can have him um, fairly cheap for the next two years, or the guaranteed cheap for the next two years. And whatever happens after that happens, we'll see then. But it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting uh interesting season coming up. Marcus Peters is already giving the Rams shout outs, talking about their you know the Rams gonna win a lot of games together, and he seems pretty happy. But of course, he's going from Kansas City to L.A. I've been to both. I'm gonna go to L.A. every time. <laughs> so so it, it it's definitely gonna be um interesting just kind of seeing how this all plays out. But we have to give a shout out to the man that made this all possible, Les Snead. Les Snead been making moves, man. What's up? Like, what's up? Yeah. What are you thinking about Les Snead over these last couple of offseasons? And when I say couple, I have to include the year before last because, as I've said so many times, that was when Les Snead really t- said, I'm taking control now, and I'm going to be a GM. And that was because it, it, it's been explained a thousand times. The Jared Goff trade was Les Snead all the way. It was his idea. He went to John Robinson on his own. He initiated the contract talks. That was Les Snead. So that was kind of the beginning of Les Snead. And now, the, and then last year, we saw the hiring of uh, – the role he played in hiring Sean McVay and also bringing in um, John Sullivan and Andrew Whitworth and trade for Sammy Watkins. He's been making moves, and now he comes in, and we know he loves to make moves from the way he moves in the draft, but now he comes and he snatches up Marcus Peters. What, what are you what are you thinking of of, of Leslie right now? Is this the is this who he's always been, or is this just a complete one eighty? As now he's starting to get more control, he can kind of be himself. What do you think? I think we need reporting. I think I think we need I think we need media to do some work on Leslie. Right? I mean, for the longest time, 
we ascribed most of the responsibility for what was going on in the team building to Jeff Fisher, um, for good, for better or worse, whether that was Aaron Donald, um, and, uh, you know, the right side of the offense, whoever you want to pick that really came through in this last era that is now supporting uh, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff, that's support, supporting, uh, the team on the roster now, most people just describe that to Jeff Fisher because we knew he had an unusually high amount of responsibility for personnel development for head coaches. What that meant, we didn't get a ton of details, especially not, you know, in terms of specific players. But you got a sense from his comments earlier this year that he wants to maintain some responsibility for having built this roster. Um, at the same time, you had the report from Sports Illustrated uh, two years ago about how it was a toxic relationship between the coaching staff and the front office from a front office that thought they had supplied better, good enough players that the coaching staff wasn't getting more out of them and a coaching staff that wasn't happy with the players that they had gotten. Uh, so what does, that, what does that mean? Does it mean that, you know, Les Snead and his front office were asking for different players that ultimately weren't being taken? I don't know. And a lot of times those things get hidden in the, you know, the back channels of, meeting rooms like at the combine coming up where we don't really learn the true story of how it went down and why it went down the way it did. The fact that Les Snead and Jeff Fisher both got contract extensions. Jeff Fisher got fired. Les Snead didn't. So whatever plea he made to keep his job quite clearly worked. Uh, and I'll say one of the weirder things that I think tells you that there was something amiss with uh, Les Snead's place within the team was the first real high-profile look that you had at the Los Angeles Rams was Hard Knocks on HBO. And Les Snead was in about 13 seconds of screen time from the seven or eight hours that the Rams were on. He just didn't feature, which was quite clearly designed to let you think that Les Snead was not a functional part of that team. Uh, yeah. However that worked, whoever made that decision, it just was the way it was. Um, they've moved on since, and like you said, he's doing work. we got a read coming up tomorrow from Tim Godfrey. That'll be up. So, obviously, if you're listening after Tuesday the 27th, it's live on the site, but for people listening live tonight on Monday, it'll be up tomorrow uh, just about that. And it's it's really interesting, but there's no doubt that he's trying to make moves to fulfill the win-now window that Joey wrote about uh, last week. Uh, the Rams know that they got an opportunity in front of them, and they're trying to take advantage of it, no doubt. So, uh, with every great trade, when there's a, just a wow, how did you pull that off? There's the other side of the coin, and there's the there's the fans who are just like, what the hell? And so I have two comments from Chiefs fans that I wanted to read because I personally thought they were hilarious. <laughs> so the first one being, uh, wow, this is pitiful. Not only did we trade him for nothing, but we gave up a pick in the process. You don't give up a special player without getting a lot in return. This isn't legit until March 14th. I need the Chiefs to back out of this one ASAP. <laughs> so, so you have you have this side of the coin where I think it's it's so impactful that people were they they want the Chiefs to redig <laughs> uh, to to back out. And then the other one is this Marcus Peters trade now that the final details are out makes the chiefs boycott worthy. <laughs> I'm serious. Giving us, giving us purgatory and making the playoff and losing, raising prices on everything, despite winning nothing was another. Now it's deliberate. <laughs> this is where I draw the line. <laughs> and I, 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 I understand because as a Ram 
for so long, you can understand the frustration of a team just not getting over the hump and then doing making the making really head scratching moves. But uh, Chiefs Nation is in an uproar, and Rams Nation is not. So it, I think it's it feels good to kind of be on that other side of the fence once more. You get to the playoffs. You win some games, you're on the other side of the fence, and then you get to see things like this happen. It gives you hope that last year wasn't a fluke. They're still kind of on that uprise. Like, this is real. Les Snead knows what he's doing. Uh, Sean McVay knows what he's doing. You, you get that idea that the tables have kind of turned. Because this, at one point, were the type of comments you've seen from Rams fans. So it's nice to see. It's nice to be on that other side of the fence. Moving forward, though, um, the Rams, the Rams, uh, I think, are still going to kind of be in that market for cornerbacks uh, because, again, I know we've talked about it before. Kayvon Webster, he still has that Achilles uh, injury. He's not a, he's not back from that. He just got surgery, and no one ever comes back 100% from Achilles injuries in the first year. Plus, the injury happened later in the year, so he may not even be ready for the first six to eight weeks of the season. Um, Mikhail Roby Coleman is a free agent. You know, and there just was never a lot of depth behind the starters. With all that being said, I, I, don't, I don't think that this move pulls the Rams out of the market for a corner. Uh, the, a corner may, stay, may very well still be on the radar. And, hell, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to lock Tremaine Johnson up for, you know, still at this point and have, a, have him go back into his role as the number two corner that he, that he is. So, so I think that the, this kind of – opened up a lot of doors for the Rams and a lot of possibilities. And going into the combine, I think the Rams are going to be still talking to a lot of defensive backs. Uh, I think the pass rusher is going to be huge for the Rams, but those are the two positions for me. What are some positions that you are looking forward to seeing in the combine this week? I mean, we got to look at edge. Um, the talent that deficiency that we got there is kind of glaring. If, if Robert Quinn has a return to season and gets a comeback player of the year, that's the kind of thing that could propel the Rams to a really, really uh, special season on its own. Um, there's not many other players that could do that. Maybe Jared Goff, he's about the only one. Todd Gurley's not going to give you a ton more than he gave last year. He's damn MVP quality. Uh, he's pretty much maxed out. He might do it again. But if you're looking for more, you're probably going to have to get a quarterback and edge. And if the edge issue is talent, got to be looking at guys there uh, for the combine. Um, the other one I might be looking for is offensive line. We're just too thin. It's not that we, you know, the offensive line pretty, played pretty well last year. Um, you know, Sullivan's a free agent. Whitworth is not young. Uh, you got Havenstein, Jamon Brown coming up on contract uh, endings. And Roger Saffold, while well, he's been healthy the last two years, remember the knock on him until two years ago was that he just couldn't get through a season. Uh, and the guys behind them are just not reliable. The last one I would throw out there is kind of a wild card is backup quarterback. I think the, one of the big stories of the year was you had, you know, the Minnesota Vikings and Philadelphia Eagles get through the playoffs and into the Super Bowl for the, and win it for the Philadelphia Eagles on the back of their backup quarterbacks. And uh, breaking news, that's not happening for the Rams with Sean Mannion. He is not, he is not going to lead us through a multi-game postseason run uh, on his back. So, you know, it, it, it's it's an easy opportunity, though, to go low in day three and find a guy that fits, uh, that they can coach up as long as you got know. Jared Goff. You never know. And, it, I mean, really, it's the perfect opportunity. Think about when we took Sean Mannion a couple of years ago. We didn't have a guy at the top. You had, you had Sam Bradford get injured twice. They move on from him, bring in Nick Foles, 
but there was no certainty there. Obviously, there was no long-term certainty. They ended that barely longer than they started it. Um, but Sean Mannion never grew into the opportunity, and he got eclipsed by Case Keenum later on in his rookie season. And then ultimately, when we traded up for Jared Goff, that was the end of Sean Mannion's opportunity. So I think the, the, the great thing now is you don't have to invest a ton. You can look at some day three guys and say, hey, is there somebody that's going to fit into this role and maybe grow from that? Um, I think that might be the third opportunity and one that could have a huge effect um, that we're going into. Yeah, for me, going into the combine this week, uh, I'm huge on the secondary. The secondary is just so stacked in this year's combine. I mean, there's there, we could very well see seven cornerbacks go in the first round with maybe three safeties. <laughs> um, I, I, 10, to, 10 to 10 to 11 defensive backs going in the first round, you're talking about a third of the first round being in the secondary. Like, it's that deep. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I think that the I think the secondary is going to be very exciting. Um, at the combine, there's a lot of athleticism in this year's draft. I thought the last two years, or excuse me, combine. I thought the last two uh, years was really the most really underwhelming for the most part. You know, you just go back, you look at the way the guys performed and things like that. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was a bit underwhelming. The, you saw more excitement from the linemen than you did skills positions for the most part. Um, but more, but above all else, this is the time for interviews. This is where skeletons come out the closet. So I'm really looking forward to the interviews. Oh sure. You find out you find out a lot of stuff. This is where it really truly affects draft boards. Yes, forty times do, do affect the, the the where a guy is on boards. But the thing that impacts more than anything is what comes out. Those skeletons, the honesty. If you remember Todd Gurley. Um, when he went to the combine, there was less talk about his knee when he was getting interviewed and hammered by the media, and more so about well, what about this money thing? Like, what happened with this when you were in Georgia? Well, like, why did you get in trouble? What really happened? Like, they drilled him at that podium, and and, and, and he stood up there and I give him credit. He took the bullets that was flying at him and he answered questions as honestly as humanly possible. Uh, and and that's and but that's result, a, that's the point. That's the point of the interview session is to see if you can stand up to that and how you're going to deal with it, knowing that once you get to the NFL, that that's the way this works, right? This, this, yeah. It's almost like an audition for the team. The point of it, honestly, isn't even to talk to the media. It's, the, it's to show teams that you can talk to the media. Exactly. And that's, and that's what I think is um, one of the most exciting parts about it is because you really, you really get to dissect players along with the rest of the world for the first time. In college, they're so well coddled. You know, they can protect them from anything. <laughs> this is where that protection is gone. You are thrown to the wolves. You're just thrown out there, peck it, and you have to figure it out on your own. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to that to that aspect of it. But outside of the secondary, I'm really, really excited about the uh, the edge rushers as well as I think there's I think there's a lot of underrated interior linemen. Uh, if you need a if you need a tackle, which the Rams do, I don't think that that's talked about enough. The Rams need a tackle, as Andrew Whitworth is 30, going on 36. When you know, with two years two years left on his contract, the Rams have to start thinking about the future because at this age, your body can go at any point. He still looks good. He's still in pretty good shape. Uh, and there's you know, you want to hope that he can make it to the end of this contract the next two years, but. Father time is undefeated. Let's just say that. So if you're looking for a tackle, this probably isn't a draft. But if you need interior alignment, which the Rams probably can be looking for a center with John Sullivan, uh, 
headed out the door, although I think they should resign him. Um, if they're looking for a center, this would be a good draft to find one. I think there's a lot of underrated um, interior linemen as well. If, as far as specifics, I am really looking forward to seeing uh, Sha- 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 Shaquille, uh, Shaquille Griffith. I want I want to see I want to see this guy like <laughs> he he is so impressive to me and I, I've talked about him before here on uh, Tertia Radio and he's gonna kill, I, he's, he's so gonna kill the interview to section he's gonna kill he's the gonna interview. absolutely a, he's gonna be a favorite I guarantee it. Yeah. I, if you're watching the combine I can guarantee you Mike Mayock is gonna bust a fatty every time he comes yeah. up on the camera <laughs> every time you see Griffin on the camera Mike Mayock's gonna lose his mind because he he's that guy that you root for. But then you don't just root for him because of his story. He's really, really good. <laughs> He's really, really good. If he if he doesn't have his birth defect, you're talking about a first round player, you know. So could be. It's it's, it's definitely gonna. He's 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 a guy I follow closely. It's definitely gonna be interesting, uh, seeing how this all plays out for him. And then another player that I'm really looking forward to is Dante Jackson, the cornerback from LSU. He's yeah. uh, someone that's kind of popped up um, in the last like month. Athletic as hell, man. Athletic as very hell. Athletic. Very athletic, very quick feet. His breaks on the ball is impressive. It reminds me a lot of Janoris Jenkins, to be perfectly honest. I don't think sure. he's going to be the caliber yeah. of Janoris Jenkins because Janoris is a true ball hawk. If, he, if the ball gets there, he has a higher probability of catching it and cribbing it than almost anyone else in the league right now at the cornerback position. Janoris Jenkins is a true ball hawk and a threat to score when the ball is in his hands. I don't think that that's Dante Jackson's future, but – you look at his his footwork and his, his the way he comes out his breaks. It, it's very very impressive. And of course, you know another corner who I love is Savar McFadden. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how he performs. I think he's one of those guys that could jump up into the first round where you thought he would have gone after his season last year, because, or he could be he could be somebody that goes in third. Draft range is so wide right now, uh, yeah. but I, I of course am still excited about him. I think he's going to be great. And then, of course, you have the you have the two premier safeties in this draft, Derwin James and Mika Fitzpatrick. They're going to steal the show. <laughs> they're, when, they're going to steal the show when it's time for them to hit the field. I guarantee it. Everyone's going to talk about it. You have Derwin James, who's just a freak. He's out there built like LeBron James or something. <laughs> and then you have Mika Fitzpatrick, very athletic, very smart, uh, one of the top players regardless position in this draft. Uh, the, I think the only player that you're going to look at and say is – Regardless of position, is that you're going to be more excited about it, Saquon Barkley. So, it, it this this is going to be um, probably one of the better combines that we've seen, in my opinion, in the past couple of years. The last couple of years, there hasn't been as much star power as this one. What What's fun is you've got this weird. We're we're at this weird kind of crossing point where we've been covering, and I I don't mean we Tertial Times. I mean fans and fan blogs have been covering the Combine so long that we, we know what the deal is, right? I threw this tweet out earlier today. Here's, here's the ranking of what's important at the Combine. Number one is that you've got 32 teams in one place, coaching staffs, front offices, to facilitate the kind of t- trades we were talking about. You've got coaches sharing ideas with one another. You've got assistant coaches working off one another and isolating what they do and how they think about things. Uh, that's the number one most important part is that you got everybody coming together for a week and a half in Indianapolis. Number two, medical evaluations. So you talked about Todd Gurley. You get to take a look at that knee. Um, when you talk about guys like um, Connor Williams uh, and who else is coming off injuries? Um, who else is big at the top that's got some big injuries? He was the first one to jump out at me. 
Um, I can't think of anybody else that's nursing a big injury, but guys that are coming in where you want to get a second look at it, that's the, that's the other really, really big thing from the combine is you've got an independent medical evaluation away from the school. Number three is the private interviews. Like you talked about, the media interviews are just to show that these guys can handle the media one way or the other. But the private interviews, like when, when you get down with Griffin and you get to talk to him, that's where I worry about a guy like Tavares McFadden. Incredibly, incredibly skilled, incredibly talented, but is he going to be able to handle the private interview sessions where they're really going to grill him on what he does and how he does it? Number four is measurements. You know, there's a just uh, – even – I know you hate the measurements for quarterbacks, but talk about cornerbacks. There's a difference between a 6'3 cornerback and a 5'9 cornerback. You, can, you can't cover top wide receivers if you're coming in at 5'9". Or you can look at a guy like Jair uh, Alexander. Like, that's not come on, man. true. Okay, but you know what? You get what I'm talking look, about. There. There's is, an idea. All I gotta say is, Go ahead. tell tell Calvin Johnson that when he uh, when he's facing Brent Grimes, tell that how about that? You had a Brent Grimes who was still playing in his prime and just absolutely shutting Calvin Johnson down. You know, so give me tell, give tell, me that give me that matchup again, and I'm betting on Calvin Johnson play. in a second. Give me that give me that option again. I'm betting on Calvin in a second. But what I was gonna say is at the end of the rankings, one is coaching and teams in the same place, medical evals two, private interviews three, measurements four. Forty yard times, I rank hundred twenty third. They don't matter. What at all. They don't they couldn't matter less. Your forty yard especially for eighty percent of the position. Nobody cares about offensive guards running the forty. Ain't nobody ain't nobody care about your linebackers run up, but that's not useful. That's not useful in the least. We've been covering this long enough to know. But what's interesting is that what we do know is that the process matters. And part of the process is that you get to isolate guys. So when you talk about take the Florida State defense, anybody that's coming out of Florida State essentially played around and with NFL players at every single level. So this is one of the first opportunities you get to, to isolate them away from the rest of the defense. How much of what Derek Nandi and Josh Sweat did on the defensive line was because of who they had on the defensive line? Same goes for the Ohio State defensive line, where they got four guys. How much of what Derwin James did was what they had in the, for the cornerbacks in front of them, right? This, this is the first chance you get to isolate those guys and really get a look at who they are for their individual skills and, and not just individual skills based on relaying and responding to what they're doing for the guys around them uh, at their individual colleges. That's what makes the combine a lot of fun. So when we talk about guys, uh, some names that I'll throw out that I'm interested in. Let me pull this back so I can get the list up. I'm interested in MJ Stewart. He's under. You talked about the fact that size doesn't, doesn't matter. If you're looking for an undersized cornerback that's going to prove it doesn't matter, he's probably going to be the first up. Mostly, I mean, I know everybody's going to talk about Denzel Ward, but I think his tape's so damn good that he's going to have plenty of people looking at him early on. I think the question is, do you get some of the same – capabilities from MJ Stewart where you can go get him around later. Uh, that's going to be certainly interesting. Another position that I'm looking at in, in terms of interest for the Rams is backup running back. Well, I, I like Malcolm Brown, but we don't have somebody who can really move. We had Justin Davis kind of yeah. star in that role in the preseason, but we don't have somebody with real talent there. And so I just worry, or I guess I'm not even worry. I'm just interested in when you get later on in the draft and you're looking at some of the guys that can play that role. Uh, are, are we going to go after guys who can do that? Maybe like a Naheem Hines, somebody that can really scoot out of NC State, or Mark Walton out of Miami, John Kelly, who I've seen a lot of chatter about from Tennessee. There's a bunch of opportunities to go grab a guy. I'm not talking anywhere early. You can go grab a guy on day three 
that's going to be an incredibly important part of this offense moving forward. Those are guys that I'm looking at. The last one would be maybe inside linebacker. I know we had the mock draft from Dan Kadar and his Monday mock that had us taking Rashawn Evans. I think there's going to be a bunch of guys that you can get to fill that spot and either replace Mark Barron, depending on what uh, the Rams decide to do, or add some talent there in the middle. There's a ton of guys that you can throw in there. Uh, Micah Kaiser, depending on how his stock looks, because inside linebacker just isn't one of those highly coveted positions. The stock on these guys isn't really high. I could see Kaiser being the second or third highest inside linebacker and maybe not getting taken until the third round. Um, so those are the kind of guys I'm looking at. Because we don't have a second and fourth, you kind of have to look for some value. I'm not really looking at the top of the draft, but there's a ton of guys that are going to blow out at Indy that I think could be on the Rams' radar that uh, Rams fans need to pay attention to. So as far as where the Rams are picking right now, which I say this every year, my mock drafts are coming. I've been working on them, and the first one is always <laughs> straight. I don't do any trades, but uh, I always do trades in the second or third one. And I say this every year, it is – pretty much a foregone conclusion <laughs> you're going to see a trade from left speed. Uh, so as of right now, the Rams have the 23rd pick that may not stay the same. And honestly, trading down seems very likely uh, this year for the Rams. So I wouldn't be shocked if it happens again. Not at all. It probably will. <laughs> so, but uh, as of right now, being where they are in that position, I think there's a few players to uh, keep in mind as far as who's a possibility. One Harold Landry, um, that's another guy that's coming sure. out of injury. But, man, he is a stud off the edge. And getting hurt could have been the best thing that happened for the Rams as he could be available for them in the bottom of the first round. Whereas before, if you were looking at his tape last year, strictly that, not the injury one this year, um, you're talking about a guy that's probably a top ten pick. So, Harold Landry, one player that you definitely want to keep in mind when, uh, when the, the Rams roll around and get on the clock around that time. Another player, Vita Vea. This is someone I loved last year. I couldn't wait for him to come out this year. Vita Vea I'd is, be shocked. Is, uh, I'd be shocked if he drops to 23, man. I think there's a possibility. I do. I really think there's a possibility he's there to 23. It's kind of like uh, last year, you saw a lot of D-linemen drop because people were going for the skill positions last year so heavily. It, it, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a rarity to see some of the quality of players that fell in the draft in 2017. And I think that there's a legitimate possibility that we could see that, see that same thing happen, <laughs> see that same sort of thing, not necessarily the exact same thing, but see that same sort of thing happen again um, this year because there's so much talent. You look at all the quarterbacks. They're automatically going to push guys yeah. down, for example. You know, you're talking about a possibility of five quarterbacks going in the top 12 yep. picks. That's a legitimate yeah. chance. <laughs> you know, that that in itself is going to push players down. So now you're talking about a guy who could have and probably should have been a top five pick getting pushed down to top 10, top 15, just because there's so many quarterbacks that's going to go early on in this draft, or at least expected to go early on in this draft. Um, I think it's going to be similar to that. Last year you saw – there was a lot of uh, D-linemen just in general. There was just a lot of D-linemen in last year's draft. And because of that, I think it made teams comfortable with, hey, I can get this guy later on, or I can get another guy at this point. You know, I can get a a, um, a guy who has top 15, top 20 potential as a pick. I can snatch him up at pick 60 <laughs> because there's so many other, there's so many other players um, who's, 
who's available, who, who's going to be, who's going to be available right now that I need that may not be available later. And I don't have that caliber player of that position. I'll give you an example. You look at um, Jonathan Allen last year, Jonathan Allen was yeah. picked 17. This is a guy who a lot of people was at early on was calling him the number one overall. <laughs> he went at number 17 last year. You know, so I think that there's a legitimate chance that Vita Vea could be available around that pick. Evan Ingram was the 23rd pick of last year's draft. Yeah. Let that sink in. <laughs> you know, he balled out at tight end in an uh, ugly situation in New York. He was, the, he was the 23rd pick. So you just never know. I think Vita Vea has a, a legitimate possibility of dropping. And the only reason I think that he has that possibility is because of the uh, – as big as he is, he's not a – quick twitch guy or anything like that and we know how that can of draft stock when you're talking about those in the trenches guys sure. uh they want consistent pass rushers when you're playing d-line that go high he can rush the passer but he is he a pass rusher i don't know if i'm ready to give him that title i don't think he's a pass rusher um so you have harold landry you have vita vea Josh Jackson is another guy, cornerback from Iowa. I think it's a possibility that could be available in that area. And you start thinking about locking down your secondary. You've got Marcus Peters. You can go out and get another uh, really good corner, a guy who has the potential to be a premier corner. If you can re-sign LaMarcus Joyner, you've now got LaMarcus Joyner, John Johnson, Marcus Peters, and Josh Jackson in your secondary. Looking pretty solid in a passing league. <laughs> you know, so, so the, the, those three players – I think you really have to uh, keep your keep your eye out for um, in that range. Um, one player, because you mentioned it, um, I feel that I, I have to talk about it a little bit. One player that I'm really high on, and I think he really fits the the Rams system, is Ronald Jones. Would it sure. be a complete shock to see? The, would it be a complete shock to see the Rams trade down maybe even to the top of the second round and pick up a running back? I don't think it would be a crazy shock. Especially with Sean McVay being excited to get his hands on another playmaker, I, I definitely think that uh, a Ronald Jones and he's an LA, he's a, a USC kid, so LA is home. I wouldn't be shocked to see a player like that fall in the Rams' lap. Um, it's definitely a possibility. So those are just a couple of names that I'm keeping an eye out for um, personally. Real quick before we move on to the last thing here, I mentioned we we're going to mention talk about this a little bit earlier. Robert Quinn, just want to touch on this a little bit. The Rams had the chance to, to to trade Robert Quinn and get out of that cap number. Now I asked I was going to say, what, not, not to trade Robert Quinn, to trade Robert Quinn's contract. I asked you two weeks ago, do you think that after the way he came on, when he knocked the rust off and, he, you know, seeing him healthy, and the way he came on to end the season wasn't enough to the, for the Rams to be willing to pay that that, that cap number? And it's looking like it is. Uh, he finished the season with eight and a half sacks. Um, that's not a bad number by any stretch of the imagination. Is it worth $13 million? Probably not. Um, but did he look like Robert Quinn of old, uh, the season wore on? Yeah, he started to look like himself. He started to get around the corner better. You saw a little bit of bend. He's still not the flexible, gumby guy that he was, you know, two, three years ago. But he was bending the corner better. And he really, 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 really put a lot of pressure on Matt Ryan in the playoff game. Him and Aaron Donald was getting after it. Um, I think that we're looking at a, a team that's looking at Robert Quinn, and he came into the league at 20 years old. I think people forget how young he was. Because of that, 
how long he's been in the league. I think people think, oh, he's like 32. No, this guy's 28 and just turned 28. Like, so he's kind of in the prime of his career. And uh, losing him, you now have no no premier pass rusher, no pedigree or anything like that at all. Because I don't think Connor Barwin's coming back. So there's a possibility we see Robert Quinn uh, play under that contract. There may be a restructure, but considering that they did not trade him, they could have kept their second round pick. (laughs) They did not trade him. That says a lot. Uh, I think that Robert Quinn is, uh, I think Robert Quinn is going to play out the rest of his contract. What do you think? I mean, it's interesting. Here's the the real issue. And then somebody tweeted this earlier from the main account. It's almost not, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty similar to the Sammy Watkins calculus is that, you can move on from him, but who do you get that's better? And I, when it comes to Robert Quinn, uh, anybody from the draft <laughs> is a huge risk. Anybody from free agency is no certain thing either, given his you know, output. The thing with Robert Quinn is his age and the injuries. He's going to be 28 years old. He's got back and hip injuries. Uh, he, he, he struggled to get back to where he was. Did he, get, did he put in some performances late in the regular season? Sure. I think the question is why did it take so long? And what 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 managed the inconsistency? Every time you've looked at one of Wade Phillips's better defenses, he's had a stud outside uh, rush. And if he doesn't get that from Robert Quinn, how good can the defense be? I think you saw some limitations to that a couple times last year when they struggled to get a natural pass rush going and they had to lean into the blitz and it offered better offenses, too many opportunities to exploit them. Teams like Dallas, teams like Philly that put up huge scores held the San Francisco game early on. Um, it's definitely a place that we need more talent. I think the question is, can you get more talent than Robert Quinn, and what are you going to spend to get there? If you want to spend the first-round pick, if Harold Landry's there, I'm down to do it, but now you've lost any opportunity to improve talent anywhere else. Uh, And that's the real calculus for me. I know you want to talk about Watkins. That's the thing about Quinn for me is that if you want to move on, i got no problem with it, but you got to replace him. This is not something where you can bump up Morgan Fox and Matt Longacre and say, hey, next man up. Those guys aren't good enough to be the next man up. Not in this situation. You got to go out and get a premier talent to replace somebody who was a premier talent that just isn't playing that way consistently enough. For me. <sighs> so I don't. It, it's hard for me to draw the comparison of the situation to make it to, uh, to say that it's similar to uh, Sammy Watkins because if you're just talking about premier talent. Finding premier talent isn't hard. <laughs> it's finding premier production that's hard. <laughs> uh, and Sammy Simi Watkins, you know, he he doesn't have any history of premier production. I know that we discussed it last time, and someone went on to Twitter and they they laid out all his 100 yard games. First off, I, I kind of laughed when I saw it because it was like there was only like seven games or nine games with <laughs> You're talking about over the course of four years, (laughs) okay? Four years. This is a a guy that you're talking about as a premier talent, okay? That's all you have to show me after being the number four pick in the draft and the the go-to target for the three years and then you jump to the Rams and you don't really do much. You kind of complain when you first get there about everything, (laughs) But, you know, not really accept the responsibility for how many routes you quit on, which is pretty evident. And I'm not I'm not sold on the idea that uh, it's a it's an equal comparison because Robert Quinn has a track record. Robert Quinn can hang his hat on 
some on performances that he's had and Pro Bowls and accolades and things sure. like that. And he can, and he's still young. You know, it's not like he's old and washed up. He's still young. He's been hurt. It's not that he just fell off the map, you know. So I don't think it's a fair comparison because of that. Um, when I look at Sammy Watkins, I think Sammy Watkins is truly a number two receiver. He's just a top-notch number two receiver. I think that's what he is. I think he's a good number two. He's one 1,000-yard season. It looks eerily similar to that of another number two receiver who hit 1,000 yards, which we see every year. We see number two guys hit 1,000 yards. I don't think just saying, oh, he had a 1,000-yard season is enough. I'm saying, well, how did he look getting that 1,000 yards? Was he just kicking ass and taking names? Did he get that 1,000 yards in 10 games, 12 games, where he just beat the hell out of guys? No one could cover him. He's running all these different routes. He's taking slips to the house like OBJ. He's going over the top of you like uh, like Calvin Johnson, or he's just out-muscling everybody like Julio Jones. I didn't see that. Was he killing you with routes like Antonio Brown? No. Why the hell would I pay him a million dollars less than Antonio Brown with a, with a franchise tag? None of that really makes sense to me. Um, that's why that's why when I look at these situations, as far as priorities, um, I look at a, a Robert Quinn situation. I think it's a bigger priority to figure out pass rusher than it is Teddy Watkins because he has yes he has talent, but there's a lot of uh, Tavon Austin has talent. Let's keep Tavon Austin, <laughs> you know. So, but I don't think you're trying to hear that argument. So, you know, if you're talking about priorities, I'm looking at, um, yes, you just got Marcus uh, Peters, but I'm still standing in the secondary. I'm saying, okay, now you, you have to bring back LaMarcus Joyner. You know, I'm looking at the pass rusher. I'm saying, okay, you have to do something about this other pass rusher aside, away, from, uh, uh, away from Robert Quinn. I think these things still remain higher priorities than Sammy Watkins, who I wouldn't put higher than, like, fifth on the list. Well, here's here's the main thing I'd point to is that if we're looking at Sammy Watkins and saying he didn't produce enough, I think the question is how how much responsibility does he bear for the Rams having the highest number of points scored in the NFL? Not because he scored them, but did he allow other people to score them? Did he allow Gurley to, to get more space and, and have more yards than he would have otherwise? Did he allow Robert Woods and, and Cooper Cup? Now, here's the this is the question that I think you and I would probably agree on. Is he replaceable? I think that answer is yes. The problem, and this is where I disagree with you on the franchise tag, is you're not paying him a million less than Antonio Brown for his production. You're paying him half of that for his production and the other half to delay that decision for a year in a way that you don't have to pay for that with Robert Quinn. Because what you've got with Robert Quinn is a guy – well, and that's the, that's the thing is Robert Quinn is getting paid the same amount for the same the same kind of production deficiency that Sammy Watkins has. That Robert Quinn's not producing like a top defensive end or outside linebacker in this offense. He didn't hit True, double digits. As, as I said, you can point to you can point to stuff and say this is what you know for a fact. Robert Quinn is capable of. You can't say that with Sammy Watkins. You you only think he's capable of it because of his draft. If Sammy Watkins was never the number four. Number uh, number four pick, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. If Sammy Watkins was Probably picked not. at number twenty nine, we wouldn't be talking about him in this light. Draft status is the number one reason for why we are still talking about Sammy Watkins in this light. It's that simple. There's no if ands or buts about it. It's just like Tavon Austin. It's so eerily similar, yeah. and that's why I'm, when well, I talk when I talk about Sammy Watkins, here's like, the thing, man. If if you're talking about another defensive end that had seventeen and a half sacks the last three years, you wouldn't be talking about him the way we're talking about Robert Quinn. 
right? Yeah, that's fact. The reason you talk about them is because of pedigree, proven production, and not just potential, because that's all Sammy Watkins has been to this point is potential. Sure. And that's, and why, they, I think, they, that's they, why I think we defer See, to me, it's very similar because you're talking about guys. You're, you're right. The production for both is not where their draft stock or where their contract market value is going to be. And let, let's be clear, the, the market value for Sammy Watkins is going to be very high, not from the Rams, but from competitors, and they're the ones that get to set the market, right? And, and just like the people who are interested in, in talent, I don't know that you're going to find a maybe Ezekiel Ansah, but yeah, I don't know that you're going to find a better talent if the Rams cut Robert Quinn as a cap casualty that offers bigger upside than he does. The problem is you're talking about his production four or five years ago. You're not talking about like last year or two years ago. On top of which, we've seen two seasons, 15 and 16, in which Robert Quinn missed a lot of time. The defense didn't necessarily look like it lost a step. You, you still got plenty of talent. Now, granted, those were different rosters, but you had still had plenty of talent that was able to generate a decent pass rush, especially when it, with Aaron Donald in the middle, that didn't look necessarily like it missed Robert Quinn. And so I think the, 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 the easy thing is that you don't necessarily have to worry about Robert Quinn because he doesn't have to go anywhere. If you decide to cut him, you're creating that decision. The difference with Sammy Watkins is you've got to, you have to make – it would be a hell of a lot easier if Sammy Watkins' contract ran out next year and you could, worry, you could maybe worry about both of these guys at the same time. That might have made this more enjoyable and more fun to compare and contrast. The problem is you don't have that opportunity with Sammy Watkins. You've got to decide it now. That's why I'm in favor of the franchise tag, not because his production deserves it, not because it has anything to do with his draft status, because I don't want to make that decision now. We've got too many other things to do, and I don't want to worry about replacing the top wide receiver, on top of which, and we didn't even mention this when we threw it out of the combine, this wide receiver class at the top is really bad, man. And I, I think I saw, oh, yeah. I think it was Mike Mayock, talking about in MMQB, talking about that a lot of people are talking about wide receivers in college the way they talk about offensive linemen, that they're not being groomed for the NFL game because systems have gotten so, you know, creative and and, uh, complex that they're finding ways to create uh, opportunities and competitive advantages that don't rely on talent, and so they're not developing those talents for the NFL to take advantage of. This class is not very good at the top wide receivers whatsoever. No, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And because I agree with that, I only have one more thing to say. That's it. Man, this new deodorant I got smells good. <laughs> it. <laughs> it, I just, it just hit me. Like, I'm like, man, I'm I'm over here smelling like a million bucks. <laughs> I need to go see if I can <laughs> I need to go work a corner or something. <laughs> Make some of that million. <laughs> Watch out for them teams. Those teams, those teams will rush up. You know what, Myson? You smell like a you smell like an old steak or some shit that I can't even think of anymore. That'll have you saying, "Man, that's cold." I thought I smelled good. That, that I smell like team. I'm fresh out the shower. <laughs> they will wreck you. They will wreck you. <laughs> but that's all we got for this week. Um, next week's gonna be interesting because, like I said, this is the week where we uh, the the combine is taking place. So. We are we are now going to be yeah the, the measurements and all that stuff it starts tomorrow so it's time to get the ball rolling on that it's going to be going to be fun you know we get to see we get to this is the time of year where football gets exciting after that downtime you go on those waves so make sure you tune into the combine so you can f- keep up with us when we're talking about it next week 
Uh, make sure you're following the site. We're going to have a lot of coverage on there. Um, follow follow the site at Turf Show Times. Follow myself at Mighty or Mike Make sure you follow Joe as well. 3K underscore. That's all we got this weekend. Watch out for the team. Bad Jackie and I'm starting this off. The Rams get down so nobody scores. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to that. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty. But we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with L.A. Rams. Hollywood Hanson, Dodge City Tough. If you throw it my way, it's going to get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Zeta. Nobody dresses with it. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreater. I come from the end, looking for the sack. I don't stop coming until I put them on the back. This limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc, and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night. Ram it. Can be, cause I don't want dick running over me. This is baby face, and I don't yield. I'm a Texan fool on the football field. From the Jersey Shore to Baboa Bay. If you run at me, you'll have a bad day. This is RB, no speedball brown. Fastest man in the whole damn town. Cars and ladies are a part of my creed. But more than that, I feel the need for speed. This is Tetris, out to make a run. With shades on, I can catch a BB in the dark. So now you're ready, and I'm sure you'll agree. The ramming is fun when you're ramming with me. Style and class, if you come my way, I'll knock you on your ass. Okay, it's your name's intimidated. I pass my way, I'll see you later. Quick on my team, the ladies agree. Before they know it, they'll ram it with me. The ice man coming, the roar is the name. I cover the corner, intercepting my game. Score more than anybody else on the D, cause I move like a cat, as you will see. The guys come and take a set of dicks, son. I lead the Rangers, I'm the Ram Top Gun. They say I'm as smooth as a runner can be. Even sweetness and the others are talking about me. I like to dance and have a lot of fun. When it comes to ladies, wanna bring anyone. But enough about me, we hit a ram it, you see. If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night.
it's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. Stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week, I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.